When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Now, it's long been known in the aquarium hobby that various natural materials can be used successfully to manipulate the environmental conditions in our tanks. This is not a mystery, right? And I guess it begs the question, why do we want to manipulate the environmental conditions in our tanks in the first place? Of course, it's usually to create optimum conditions for our fishes, and sometimes it's to breed them, sometimes it's to... Uh, achieve a, a replication of a specific environment, etc. And the art of environmental manipulation starts with the most basic of parameters, pH. Probably the single most important measurable environmental factor which we can manipulate using botanicals or botanical materials is pH. Now, the idea of lowering pH with botanical materials is not at all a new concept. Hobbyists have incorporated peat moss, for example, to help lower pH in water with very low general hardness for generations. And a question we get a lot around here is about the water softening capability of botanicals, to which I respond almost reflexively, there is none. Botanicals will not help you soften hard water. I believe that anyone who tells you this categorically simply doesn't have the correct facts. Ask them to explain how this process works. I'd love to know because I've found no evidence anywhere that I've researched of this. I haven't experienced it either. To help make sense of it all, we need to all sort of refamiliarize ourselves with the concept of carbonate hardness to begin with. Now, before we go too far, I'm going to dispense with the necessary disclosure that my knowledge of water chemistry is quite basic. And I'm not asserting that anything discussed here is the last word on the subject. It's an explanation of some facts and ideas based on my limited college chemistry and understanding of these things from being a practicing aquarist. At a certain point in the discussion about this stuff with really knowledgeable people, my eyes start to glaze over. I get a little bit, you know, sweaty and confused and just that's it. There's plenty of you out there who could just school me on this stuff. And I encourage your input on these more esoteric yet important aspects of the hobby. If that's your strength, it's important for us to know we all will benefit from hearing. Uh, anyway, back to the bit on carbonate hardness. Now, this is one of those terms, along with general hardness, GH, that we see bandied about all over the internet and in books and hobby discussions, and it's super confusing to me, as there are multiple ways of determining the hardness of water, in general, but for us, it's for aquarium purposes. Now, hardness is essentially a measure of the total concentration of specific minerals dissolved in the water, including calcium and magnesium, as well as other minerals like potassium and sodium. It's said that the concentration of these minerals in a given quantity of water contribute to the hardness. Oh, and what exactly is soft water anyways? Well, in simple terms, soft water is water which has relatively low concentrations of calcium carbonate and other ions. So there's a few ways of measuring this. As a reef aquarium hobbyist, I was long ago indoctrinated to use KH from the German word carbonate to measure the carbonate and bicarbonate ions in a given aquatic system, which function as buffers and keep the pH from dropping. 
Now, KH is a component of GH to make matters more confusing. KH can never be higher than the general hardness of the water because of this fact. And a lot of test kits will measure both, as if a guy like me needs any more confusion in life. It's crazy. So, anyway, hobbyists really want or seem to want this inexpensive, natural, or simple way to soften their water. Using some botanical-based stuff just seems like it would be so right, doesn't it? Yeah, it does seem that way. And there actually is a possibility here. Believe it or not, there is. Impractical though it may be. Our old friend and nemesis and controversial subject, the OG botanical material used in aquariums, peat moss. Now, we receive a ton of questions about peat moss, mainly why don't you sell this stuff? And we've talked about that over the years to the point where you're probably bored hearing about it. Uh, and what can it do to manipulate environmental conditions, pH and hardness in aquariums? Now, there's a lot discussed about the you know peat moss's ability to condition aquarium water. And although some of the facts might be convoluted and you know misconstrued over the years, there is some validity to this, believe it or not. Yes, interestingly, it is known that our old and controversial friend peat moss has actually demonstrated some capacity to conduct ion exchange. That's a process in which unwanted dissolved ions in water are exchanged for other ions with a similar charge. Ions are atoms or molecules containing a total number of electrons that are not equal to the total number of protons. I know if you're like me, that made your head start spinning almost instantaneously. You can Google this stuff. It actually makes a lot of sense when you read it. So not a problem. Think of it this way. Peat softens water by exchanging humic acids for magnesium and calcium. It's actually true. Peat effectively binds calcium and magnesium ions while simultaneously releasing tannic and other acids into the water. And these acids work the bicarbonates in the water, reducing the carbonate hardness and the pH to some extent. And it will tint the water as well, as we all know. Interesting, right? Now, however, you can't just drop some peat in your tank and expect, you know, instant Amazon. The process requires what aquarium people call active peat filtration, basically having a, your water in your aquarium pass over the peat itself to make this happen. It has to do it on a regular basis. Of course, you could just place some in the tank and wait for the process to occur passively, which could happen, but it'll take much, much, much longer. So being the curious and occasionally reckless fish geek that I am, I actually played around with this idea once just to try to see if it does indeed work. And well, it does sort of work, believe it or not. It took some hard water and used it and with Pete and saw what happened. It took a lot of this stuff to do the job with this dump and weight technique. Like how much? Well, a shitload if you must know, and I'm being technically accurate here too. Yeah, it took a shitload of Pete and a fair amount of time to reduce my Los Angeles tap water with the hardness exceeding 240 parts per million and a pH of 8.4 out of the tap down to what we would call workable parameters of 6.4 pH and a hardness level of around 40 parts per million. Like how much are we talking? It took a full two cubic foot bag of peat added to a 30 gallon plastic trash can filled with my tap water over eight days to in, or, in order to achieve these parameters. And actually, it might have even been longer, but I think I, I think I, I lost count. And I, I it, when I started the project, and I assumed that it was eight days. It might have even been ten. So, how scientific is that, right? Yeah, don't don't ask me for scientific stuff because that's what you're going to get. So yeah, the idea though, it does work. Not exactly efficiently, but it does work. Now, based on my experience, you can soften water with peat to some extent if you're dedicated to it, have time, the means to do it, and a willingness and ability to test your water. 
Now, I've long ago lost that thrill that some people get for doing these kinds of money-saving, you know, DIY methods. To me, I simply decided to forego other indulgences, save my money for a while, and invest in a really nice RODI unit and call it a day. Yeah, an RODI unit isn't quite as romantic as dumping some peat into a barrel of water and seeing what happens after two weeks, but it's a hell of a lot more efficient, trust me. My SpectraPure, you know, four-stage RODI unit cranks out about 80 plus gallons of zero TDS, zero carbonate hardness water in a day. Now, one could argue that the rejection rate of RODI makes it less efficient, even wasteful, but hell, I use my wastewater to water my lawn, so I don't exactly call it a waste. And yeah, a unit like mine retails for around 300 plus US dollars, which is a lot more than a two cubic foot bag of peat, but the long-term consistent efficiency, the ecological friendliness in terms of we're not harvesting this thing from the atmosphere, or, or excuse me, from the environment, uh, and a reliability that's pretty good is pretty obvious to me. <clears throat> excuse me. All in all, for maximum efficiency, consistency, and control, just invest in an RODI unit and you'll create soft water with little or no effort and no mess. Just so, you know, water, have somewhere to put channel the wastewater and you're good. Yeah, it is a bit pricey to purchase an RODI unit, but well worth it, in my opinion, if your goal is to create soft, malleable water to use in your aquariums. So this long non-scientific dissertation on peat was a roundabout way of discussing how you can accomplish some water parameter manipulation with natural materials. It's entirely possible. It just requires some realistic expectations, research, effort, testing, and work. There's some botanical products which you could incorporate fairly reliably to lower pH in water. And again, the qualifier here is water with minimal carbonate hardness, like you could use cones, for example. Cones like alder and birch have been used successfully for quite a few years by you know, shrimp and fish breeders to lower the pH in their aquaria, as well as to stimulate breeding. Now, some people claim that they provide some antifungal properties, and I've seen claims of higher hatch rates for certain fish eggs when utilizing, you know, alder cones as water conditioners and spawning aquariums. Is there any merit to these claims? Well, there seems to be at least some anecdotal evidence that cones, well, really the humic substances that the cones release, that these humic substances may offer some benefits. Now, more about that later. What exactly is a cone? Well, to many of us city folks, uh, cones are those odd-looking things that fall off big old, you know, pine trees or whatever in yards and parks. They're cool to throw into the fire while camping because they crackle and pop, and they're fun to throw at each other when you're a kid. Well, at least it was for me. Uh, not fun to get hit by them, but it sure is fun to throw them at your friends. Well, to a, to a science, a cone, actually known to botanists as a strobilus, is the organ on a plant that contains the reproductive structures. At this point, I am so tempted to make some sort of juvenile sounding joke about you know how weird it was that we used to throw pine cones at each other. But anyway, I'm gonna spare you the juvenile ridiculousness. But anyway, <laughs> cones come in male and female varieties. I didn't know that originally. And they're pretty well studied by scientists and they have definitive characteristics that make identifying each species sex and viability really possible. But I'm not gonna bore you with those details right now because it's really long and hard to figure this stuff out, but it can be done. So as far as cones are concerned, as aquarists, we like them because they're known to contain those tannins and humic acids. They do. And as you know, by now here at Tannin Aquatics, we have more than a casual interest in stuff that, you know, tints the aquarium water and contributes to a more dynamic, physical and aesthetic aquarium environment. And cones can make some important contributions. Now, first off, the varieties that we as aquarists typically use are alder, birch, and Casarina cones. 
These have been used in aquariums for some time. Each one has their own, you know, tint capability and therefore utility for our purposes. Now, alder cones are probably the, I don't know, the alpha dogs of the cone-using world. And you'll find aquarists worldwide playing with them in their aquariums. We've been offering them to our customers for years, and they seem to be pretty popular. Uh, they come from the genus known as Alnus. And there's quite a few species found worldwide. The varieties most commonly used in aquaria seem to come from Northern Europe and the Pacific Northwest and North America. Alder trees are also known to have bark that's rich in tannins, so it's no stretch to, to conclude that the woody little cones also contain some tannins as well. Now, alder cones are typically small, typically only a few centimeters in length, varying by age and species, but they're powerful little tinders. It only takes a small quantity of these guys steeped in water to produce some really decent color. Now, of course, as we said a gajillion times here, color is simply an aesthetic measure and has absolutely no correlation with the pH of the water. So please don't forget that concept. Just, just don't. There's too much of that nonsense tossed around. However, in terms of pH manipulation, there are some possibilities here. A study that was done a few years back by a Swedish hobbyist using, I think, from one to six cones in a glass containing about 10 ounces of what he called reasonably soft tap water with a starting pH of about 8.1 was able to drop to, I think, 6.74 with one cone in it after about two weeks. And he got down to 4.79 with two cones after two weeks and an amazing 3.84 with six cones after the same time period. The biggest part of the drop in pH, interestingly, occurred in the first 12 hours after the immersion of the cones, but then it gradually went down. So that same enthusiast extrapolated that it would take about 330 cones to lower the pH of 100 liters of tap water from 8.12 to a respectable 6.74, and that would take about two weeks with nicely tinted water resembling, in the hobbyist's own charming words, a cup of tea. Music to our ears, of course, yet not exactly a scientific recipe. So suffice it to say, these little cones do pack a considerable wallop. Of course, no hobbyist I know is going to toss $300 cones in a 25-gallon aquarium to try to drop the pH by 1.38, but this exercise demonstrates the capabilities of these innocuous-appearing little cones and demonstrates the need to treat them with some respect and to start very slowly when using them in our aquariums for this purposes because, well, damn, we're dealing with natural materials and to try to ascribe them precisely delineated capabilities is really speculative. The other cone commonly used by fish geeks is the birch cone, um, Betula species, which has similar, although not quite as pronounced an effect on pH as alder in our rudimentary recreation of that other guy's slightly more sophisticated tests. Birch cones are a bit larger, a little bit more elongated, which apparently doesn't have much correlation to their you know, capabilities as a pH reducer in the aquarium, but it's an interesting, easy identifier for us casual guys. Interestingly, Birch extracts from wood, mainly, are used in other industrial capacities, like treating leather and in flavorings. I can't recall ever tasting anything with birch, but okay. A given quantity of birch cones do seem to render a slightly darker tint to the water than alder, in my opinion. But as we all know from me shaming you, tint is not necessarily indicative of the pH of the water. It has nothing to do with it. I'm going to say it again and again. And remember, very hard water is unlikely to have the pH substantially influenced by a reasonable amount of any cones or any botanicals. Softer water, like, you know, RODI that I just mentioned, with little to no general hardness is far more susceptible to pH manipulation via botanicals in our experience than just your ordinary hard alkaline tap water. Now, in order to round out our collection of cones over the years, we sourced the rather attractive Indian Casuarina cone. It's uh, Genus is Alocazarina and also Alma species, which come from the beautiful evergreen trees, 
found throughout Australia, Oceania, and as non-native introductions to the Indian subcontinent, which is odd considering the Indian moniker is the common name, right? Weird. These cones are somewhat lesser known in the hobby and in North America, but they've apparently been used in Asia for a number of years in the same capacity Alder has in Europe. And they're handsome, they're fat looking cones. They look like little grenades actually, and kind of interesting. And I tell you, one time I got into it with some guy. Well, actually, no, someone slid into me. Uh, some guy from, oh gosh, I forgot where it was, but from a country, not not uh, North America or United States or Canada, but, uh, and I think it was in Europe, but this guy slid into me. Like, how could you offer these things? The the, the casuarina is toxic and la la la. He gave me this long, you know, blasted me and I'm like dude we've been using these for years the the cones are not toxic what if he would have read his botany lessons a little more carefully it turns out that apparently the bark of of the casuarina and the leaves has an allelopathic capacity in other words it puts out a chemical that keeps other plants from growing in its vicinity toxic if you're a weed or something but not toxic to a fish and I'm not aware of any ichthyotoxic studies ever mentioned about these things We've been using them for years. I've sold them for years uh, at Tannin. I've never had anybody say, Scott, your stuff killed my fish. So as far, I've used them on mine tanks, obviously, because we test everything that we sell. I haven't had any issues with it. Now, here's a confession now, because you guys like confessions, right? So confession time. As much as I love the idea of using cones in aquariums, I must admit that in my opinion, they hardly look tropical. And they're best relegated to that utilitarian role of media used to influence the color, cultivate biofilms and fungal growth, and to a lesser extent, maybe to lower the pH of the aquarium water and filters or media bags away from the display. I just think they look, well, I don't know, how do I sound politically correct? Um, Shitty (laughs) in aquariums. To me, nothing screams not fucking tropical more than a bunch of alder cones in the aquarium. It just, they just don't look tropical to me. Okay, well, that's just me. And of course, we'll now see a 30% drop in cone sales as a result of this micro-confession rant shaming people into thinking they're ugly or whatever. But, oh, that's the way business is. Sorry, guys. A lot of hobbyists, especially shrimp enthusiasts, though, don't seem to be bothered by the look of the cones in their displays. It's about the utility. And if you're going to keep cones in your display aquarium, the Casarina are the best candidates for the job, in my opinion. They the ability to reduce pH is probably not quite as pronounced as alder or even birch from what I understand. Nonetheless, they can impact water chemistry like any other botanical material, and they can definitely influence the tint of the water. And more important, they have this really faceted surface, which seems to cultivate biofilms and fungal growths quite effectively. And shrimp seem to love that. So how many cones do you need to use in your tanks? I'd be doing you a complete disservice and just come across like a total jerk if I even attempted to tell you with any degree of authority. I mean, we've had a few baseline numbers and those work for us. And I think I might've put those out at some point, but for the most part, we just need to experiment. It's really a matter of what works for you, the individual aquarist. There's just no hard and fast recipe for this. I mean, there's so many variables, the size of the cones, where they came from, when they were harvested, how long they were sitting on the ground, blah, 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 all those things. In general, Cones seem to be ideal candidates to use in filters, in media reactors, or just passively somewhere in your aquarium where water flows over them gently. As I mentioned previously, they certainly make great foraging areas for shrimp and for that that many faceted surfaces, known interestingly enough as scales to botanists, those scales actually do a respectable job of recruiting biofilms because of the shape. So some shrimp and catfish, and I'm thinking Otosynculus, seem to love foraging on them. And 
one could conceivably, here's one idea I had, you can even sneak in some pelleted foods or some, you know, homemade food or whatever, frozen brunch into the scales, uh, turning them into sort of an unorthodox yet effective feeding station for these kind of animals or other bottom-dwelling fishes, which might be all competed in a busy community tank by all that, you know, tiger barbs and tetras or whatever. Just an idea. So in general, though, the cones that I talked about here are known to science to have rather significant amounts of tannins in their tissues. As with most plants, the tannins are theorized to be present in cones to protect the mother plant from predators. So with the tannins, their usefulness as aquarium water conditioning media is easy to understand in that context, right? However, the other properties attributed to them by aquarists and hobby industry people are a bit harder to substantiate in my humble opinion. And many hobbyists who use cones will speak of their alleged antifungal and antibacterial properties with little more than anecdotal experience or less to substantiate these claims. Unlike, I don't know, catopolis, which have been studied by scientists in Asia and elsewhere for fisheries use as antifungals, antimicrobials, and which do have some phytochemical constituents that may be useful in treating and preventing infections, we're really operating on the basis of inference and even supposition that because cones seem to do what, you know, what leaves do from a pH and aesthetic standpoint, that they must also have these therapeutic capabilities, right? Yikes. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you they do or don't, but we just have to be really careful about that. Of course, those of us who trade in botanicals in the industry need to be even more responsible when assigning these kinds of attributes to the stuff we sell. And not everyone in the industry does, unfortunately. I see lots of vendors selling all kinds of botanicals around the world with descriptions that absolutely imply that stuff like cones have the, all these amazing capabilities and should be used to lower pH, treat fungus, hatch eggs, blah, blah, blah. As you know, that kind of overly generalized, sales-oriented, hyperbolic stuff makes me want to barf. It just does. And it was the same with catopolis. I mean, the last thing I wanted to do when I started tannin was to get caught up touting all sorts of unsubstantiated claims about these leaves and the substances they contain. So I did my best to ferret out just what the real deal is here. It was helpful for me to at least try to extract some practical information out of the many, many claims about these leaves that you see in the hobby world. For many years... Beta breeders and other, you know, enthusiasts in Southeast Asia just, you know, added catopolis and tanks and containers that held their fishes and noticed a lot of positives. Those guys who actually fought their fishes seemed to feel that when their fishes were kept in water, which catapa was present, they recovered more quickly from their fight-related injuries. It really wasn't until I found some scientific papers on catapa extracts, which documented their antifungal properties, that I began to accept this stuff a little bit more. It was really, uh, you know, a lot of serious scholarly research based on actual fisheries work that did it. Some good, solid, replicable experiments. It's a far cry from the casual, usual drivel that we see spouted by a lot of aquatics vendors, and probably me included. But that kind of stuff doesn't do much to elevate things, does it? Usually it's these grandiose pronouncements about the alleged miracle abilities of botanicals, and that's about it. And back to the cones for a minute. I'm going on and on. There's a mini rant going on right here. So as much, again, as I would love to share their enthusiasm and their faith that they can do all these things until scientific aquarium use specific research is done on them, I think it's best to consider them as a means to provide some color to the water, to add some pH-reducing cap, you know, capability under certain circumstances, and for their ability to cultivate biofilms, which is not bad. But we should state that it's thought by some to have possible therapeutic benefits for aquatic animals, the extent of which is not fully understood. That's for all of you, you know, aquatics industry vendor wannabes out there. Please, you know, let's 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 
figure this stuff out before we start bragging about what it can do. And that's really it. Yes, I'm a damn buzzkill, I know. <laughs> Although I'm personally skeptical of some of the claims about cones, I would encourage responsible hobby-level experimentation with cones as a possible homeopathic remedy or preventative. I was going to say coneopathic. That's funny. Ha! It's a homeopathic remedy or preventative for fungus and other possible fish maladies for those who are interested. And I'm not. Look, as long as we're open-minded, record our results, and don't simply ascribe every good and bad thing that happens to our animals while using the cones to their properties, it's certainly worth looking into. The number of shrimp breeders I've spoken with and read about over the years who do use cones, mainly alder and casuarina, in their breeding and rearing aquaria with good results makes experimenting with them too tempting to simply dismiss. And of course, we can go on and on about the humic substances and tannins which are released by botanical materials in general directly into the environment. That's a legitimate sort of known thing documented by a lot of scientific study, believe it or not. And in the end, the ability of botanical materials to manipulate the aquatic environment, it's wide open for research. It's more than just theoretical that they're capable of doing some things to the environmental parameters of the water that they're placed in. And yet, much more work is needed at a hobbyist level if we really want to understand how the physical aquarium environment can be influenced by them. So don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and do some work with this stuff. There's so much to learn that it's not even funny. We're really at the ground floor of our understanding of how to manage botanical-style aquariums. We just are. Even after years of playing with this stuff, it's still something that we learn about every... We learn new things every day. There's even arguments, and we're going to get into this later because some of my friends have been telling me, bringing to my attention some of these horrible things going on on Blackwater Aquarium Forums where people are trashing other ideas and uh, that people are trying and presenting. It, it, it makes me barf, and as you guys know, I get really upset about this kind of stuff, and specifically uh you know we're gonna we're gonna have some people on soon we're gonna talk about this stuff because it's it deserves its own uh, podcast but um boy there's a lot of misinterpretation about you know um what is black water how it's made what a black water aquarium is why we do this all that kind of stuff botanical style aquariums this is a big mismatch of shit and we're gonna have to get into it with some some of my friends it'll be a fun podcast uh so i want you to hold put a put a tack in that and we'll come back to it but Right now, whatever your course is, whatever you're into with botanicals, you know, keep studying, learning, observing. Don't take anybody's word for, you know, the absolute gospel. Do some research. Stay on it. Stay bold. Stay creative. Stay curious. Stay undeterred. <laughs> stay active. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, a big part of your day today because I'm really rambling. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.